Great to be here with you on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, so much to get to here on the show. We'll hear from Kevin Whitley, Georgia Southern interim head football coach after the uh, the Eagles win against Texas State over the weekend. Also, <coughs> excuse me, D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us. Uh, AJC.com covers the Atlanta Falcons. And, uh, well, there's plenty to break down with the Falcons losing 43-3 to the Cowboys. So he'll join us. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll recap the weekend that was in the SEC. And again, you right? wants it? No, I'm not. I got a I got a tickle in my throat to start the show. I will hand it over to BJ Bennett. We'll hear from oh. we'll hear from Brooks Austin in just a minute as well from Dogs Daily and SI. I don't like you right now. You've been, you've been talking oh, for like oh, two oh, hours, oh, BJ, and BJ, now you're falling apart. BJ, one hundred. Listen, one hundred percent. Christian lives when somebody go. <laughs> Christian, give you that look first. Like, okay, I'm gonna let the first one go. If you give me another one, you. You good? Like I'm not. No, you. Well, no, my favorite is because we will have an entire break. Kevin's literally <laughs> had all day to clear anything out of his throat. Ben, you, we will go through a four minute break where you're talking, you're having a good time, and then literally the first statement of a segment. No, 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 no. We literally just had like an hour long discussion on the viability of soap, and in that, <laughs> Kevin was clear, it was, was concise. Too. There was no coughing. I mean, Christian, to your point, you're right. I mean. An hour-long show meeting, he's good to go. Then as soon as we go, he's got he's got the tickle in the throat. Ugh. It hits when it hits, man. I, I don't know. Can't, can, I can't uh, predict it. If I could, I'd be a genius, you know. Not that I'm not a genius anyway. But You, uh, but you said it, not us. <laughs> well, we've got plenty of football to get to uh, coming up. We'll, get, we'll chat with Brooks Austin after Georgia beats Tennessee. Uh, finishes 8-0 in SEC play, going uh, to the SEC championship game after they run through these next two opponents uh, on their schedule and will get ready to play in the SEC championship game uh, there in Atlanta. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit, as well as the Falcons' uh, just utter disappointment in Dallas. But, BJ, we forgot to do something last week that we've been doing for a long time. So we had to carry it over to today, but we've changed the scenario a little bit. With the first round of the state playoffs out of the way, we usually do a mascot challenge to see who knows all these mascots from schools maybe you'd never heard of. And we're going to do it now. Only you've put me up against Christian, which, again, I guess ups the ante a little bit. Yes, just so people know, of course, longtime listeners of the show know, we've done a mascot challenge when the state football playoffs have started, I mean, for 10, 12 years, back to the good old days when Kevin used to drive me around and buy me breakfast and lunch and all that. And last week, <laughs> we did not get days? to it. Yes. Now, here's the issue. You have proved that you are far better than me at this the last couple of years. I have not even really competed. So we said, listen, we have to do it, but we're going to match you up with Christian because you guys have been all over the state. You both are from Metro Atlanta. You have a more natural advantage than me. And I don't know if this is technically named that team. Kevin, you can name the population of, of like every random county in the state. So I don't know if he this actually is- failed pretty hard at a couple of geographical questions I had for him on Friday night. So I got one that I think was he's falling close. apart. No, you said it was in North Georgia, but you didn't know where. No, that was that's a very, that's a very broad very statement. All right. That was very close. All right. Regardless Anyways. whether it's name that team or the mascot challenge, we're going to get to it. Ben, help me keep score because I got a couple of files open here. And I expect, I expect both of you guys to do pretty well. All but here's right. how it's going to work. I will mention a school. You have to tell me the mascot. If you guess first and get it right, that's it. If you guess first and get it wrong, the other person can take a deep breath and guess. And we are counting right answers only for clarity's sake. 
So here we go. These are all teams that are still in the GHSA playoffs. We'll start with Mill Creek. Uh, Hawks? That's correct. That is correct. Why? Oh, Kevin, if you know, oh, jump he just beat me it. on the jump. I actually have a friend who teaches at Mill Creek, so I, I mean, I should have known that one. I mean, that and five bucks get you a cup of coffee, <laughs> man. Like, oh, what does that matter? The smack, the smack starting right away. Christian up one to zero. Let's go with Denmark. Denmark High School. Uh, the Great Danes. That is correct. I've never heard Christian, I've heard of him, flexing I did not. early. Flexing How old of us? Early. Uh, Denmark is. I've never uh, they're they're in a they're in a, they're in a bigger city. In Atlanta, they're one of the newer schools, though. I was going to say that one was not hasn't been around very long. I don't think. Go ahead. Moving forward, Roswell. Oh, uh, the Hornets. No, that's a that's a rivalry there for the old the Hornets. Kevin, Kevin, you got to get with it. You got to jump in. Christian is pulling away he early. Is. You got to jump in. Be aggressive. All right, moving forward, North Cobb. Oh, uh, Warriors. Oh boy, uh, that is correct. And Ben, will you update us with the score, please? Uh, it will be that will be for uh, Christian. That's fine. Zero for Kevin. We're living in Kevin, Cobb County right the now. Answer, you got to have uh, the North, answer. Yeah, North Cross is in uh, Kennesaw. And the, or North Cobb's in and Kennesaw. And the, the approach. The answer and the approach. You got to get into it here. Yes. All right, Pebble Brook. Oh, man. Um, are, they the, are they the Patriots? No. No. Gosh, I know this one. Are they the Lions? Correct answer, Falcons. Falcons, Falcons. Falcons. dang it. Ben, yes? I see no, you pointing at people. I, anybody, uh, I'm, I'm talking to somebody else, not you. He's, we, the, <laughs> he's, it's still, it's still he's four, it's still four from, uh, from Ben. The score okay, is not I changed. what was going on. I'm still in the other room. I saw him pointing. All yeah. right, moving forward, West Lake. Oh. I think. Warriors? I was going to say that, but uh, nope, nope. now that he's wrong. Uh Westlake uh, Eagles, no. Correct answer is the Westlake Lions. I was a no. school early. Lions. All right, Kennesaw Mountain. Mustangs. That is correct. You got that, that one, one easy. That was impressive, Christian. You got that one right away. Cambridge. It, yeah, five. Are they the, they're the Bears? You're asking me or are you They're the Bears. Me? They're the Bears. Okay, yes, well done. Okay. Well done. So, Christian, this Christian, we might have to get you – Kind of a, a a a new competitor here, Kevin. You're yeah, not sure. Yeah, get John Nelson on the phone. You're, 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 I mean, I think you're like the like the, the first uh, like half of the first one you mentioned. Like he lived next door to all these, so that's fine. Go ahead. Shiloh. Shiloh's the general. General. See, Dang come it. on back to yeah, come back to my side of Atlanta <laughs> and let's see how I do. Kevin said East Side. <laughs> Kevin is on the board, Ben. It, it, mascot yeah, six, yeah, six point, yes. All of these teams are still in the GHSA state playoffs. Johns Creek. Oh, man. I can see them in my head. They're like kind of burgundy and gold. Eagles? Nope, Kev, you got a guess? Uh, the Johns Creek uh, Trojans. Close. They are the Gladiators. Johns ah. Creek is the Gladiators. All right, we move through here on the mascot challenge. Evans. Evans is a Knights. No. That is correct. Oh. Kevin making a move here. That's my nickname. I'm worried. That's my nickname. Kevin does have right a down. history of making a late run. A Kev, in, a Kev in, back, in, as we call it. Some yeah. of these. Yeah. All right. Calhoun. Calhoun is the Yellow Jackets. 
That is also uh -oh. correct. Uh -oh. Uh oh, has momentum turned? Uh -oh. Has momentum turned in the mascot <laughs> challenge? All right, we're moving, and we started at the top with seven A, and we're moving down through as we go. Cartersville. Purple, purple wave. Ah. Yeah, he, he, and I think that's Kevin. Yeah, no, he did because I, I said purple I, wave. It's the purple hurricanes. All right, so what is the score now? Home of uh, Trevor. That's home of Trevor. Yep, that's yep. right. And right. Kevin is Kevin has narrowed the margin here. Northwest Whitfield. They are the Patriots. I believe. Holy cow! They are not the Patriots. Oh, no. Northwest Whitfield Warriors. I guess they are the Bruins. Actually, the interesting the Bruins. Daughtery. Oh. We should know that they just, they just played. They just played uh, Jenkins, right? They did. Uh, I mean, you just got to keep going with it, right? Yeah, the Bulldogs. Wa Warriors. Correct answer: Trojans. Trojans. Correct ah. answer is Trojans. I believe a big upset for this team over the weekend. Hapeville Charter. Are they the Hornets? They are. Well done. You were telling me earlier about the uh, advantage of alliteration when you do this, Christian. Is yes. that one of your strategies? That is. Should be everybody's strategy yeah. if you don't know. Cedartown. 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 The Cougars. <laughs> nope. I, I think they're the the Bulldogs. You got it. Cedartown yeah. Bulldog. Yep. I was just kind of letting it, you know, let no, the. No, that one's because, uh, like, Cedartown's been pretty good to Georgia with recruits, and they look, they kind of right. look like Georgia. Yeah. That's right. They have the C that looks like the G on yeah. the helmet. Cedartown Bulldogs. I needed about, that. I needed that. How about Cedar Grove? Mm. Am I thinking? Of, I'm, I'm trying to get the. Are they the Saints? Nice. Uh, yeah, well yeah. That was the only S there. I get. There's like a couple of Groves that give me confusion. Cedar knew, Grove played uh, Jenkins the, a few years yeah, back. Yeah, they're really good. I knew it was the S. Kevin, I love when you get it right, when you show, like, no confidence at all, and you go, are they the so-and-so? And then it's exactly right. Chris County. Cougars. That is a correct answer for Kevin. This this is getting interesting. We should be tied now. No, you're not. Through the I, got, I, got a, I got, like, two. Okay. Eight, Kevin, six, Christian so, is winning. How many more do we have? What's the right now? What's the eight, lead six, eight, Christian. Eight, six. I think there's about ten left here. All right. All right. Ring gold. Ring gold. Oh, that's way up there in the mountains. It is. Uh, uh, Mountaineers. No. They're probably the Bulldogs. Ringgold Tigers. No. Ringgold. We just, BJ muted himself, so we have no idea what you just said. I was talking to myself. Yeah. I, there you go. Yes. My apologies. All right. Monroe area. Oh, and they're, uh, they could play Pierce County in a couple weeks, potentially. Yeah. They, they're, they're, I think they're the best team in 3A. I just don't know what their mascot is. Yeah. Uh, the Bears. Is there alliteration with Monroe area? But do you um, go with the M or the A? The Eagles. <laughs> Correct answer is the Hurricanes. Yeah. All right. Monroe yeah. area. All those Hurricanes in Monroe. Yeah. Hurricanes, right. A lot, lot of Hurricanes. <laughs> How about Putnam County? Oh, man. Maybe I'm thinking I'm, no, I'm getting uh, No. Putnam the County. The Commodores. Are they the Gamecocks? Interesting one here. Putnam County is the War Eagles. War Eagles. Nice. Putnam County War are, Eagles. Wait, wait, are, are, down. Christian, I got to ask question, Christian a question because he might know. Is Putnam County the school that's like almost directly across from Rock Eagle, the 4-H camp there? That may be where they got their uh, their name from. 
Kevin, I have, I have no, no idea, idea what you're talking anyway, about. Go ahead. I just I, there's a school that you're anyway. Go ahead. Oh, the old 4-H club. Leckley County. Which one? Well, now y'all are talking about Camp Rock Eagle, but yeah. Bleckley County. Bulldogs. Kevin got it. The Royals. Now, let me look at this here. We have four left. Yeah, Kevin's down by one. Kevin's eight, down by eight, one. Yes, eight, seven. <laughs> Woo. All right. Turner County. Seminoles. No. Kevin, a chance to tie. Turner County. Uh, Tigers. So close yet so far away. Turner County Titans. Ah! Titans for Turner County. All right, how about Athens Academy? Athens Academy. I think they are the Eagles. Nope. Christian? I feel like it's like some sort of warrior... Uh, the Knights, I don't know. On the right track, but no. Correct answer, the Spartans. Okay, Athens yeah. Academy. Some sort of warrior. And two left here. So, Kevin, you need one for the tie. need a sweep for the win. Brookstone. Oh, God. <laughs> Bulldogs. <laughs> I like where your head's at, but no. The Wildcats. Correct answer, Christian. You've been close lately. Is the is the Cougars? Dang it, the Cougars. <laughs> the correct answer for Brookstone. So Kevin, a chance to tie. Saint Anne Pacelli. I mean, for the tie. You're just gonna. Might as well just let me twist. Um. Saint, Anne, I feel like they. I'm going to say Eagles, but I feel like it's probably some kind of like uh, religious something like the Crusaders or something. But I'm going to say Eagles. No, not the Eagles. Christian, I mean, you've already won, but just to, just to rub uh, it in, do you have the, the right Saint answer? St. Anne Bocelli Preachers. I don't know. Correct answer is the Vikings. Vikings. The Vikings. Oh, ah, yes. St. Anne Bocelli. Great job, guys. Very well done. Much better than I would have done. Ben, what's the official final total there? I mean, Kevin, listen, Kevin made an incredible comeback. He stormed comeback, back. Like Texas. Christian gets the yeah. Christian gets to win eight to seven. I feel like I hung in there. I got I put myself in a hole. We avoided the Kev back. Five five nothing there, and I had to I had to fight back. But yeah, good job on all the uh, the mascot challenge there. Again, you learned something. And the uh, the half of those I'll forget if you ask me again next year. Can I give you two mascot facts? Okay. Real quick, best mascot in the state of Georgia, the Cairo Syrup Makers, just awesome. Second of all, if you go to Glen Academy's website, do you guys know what the Red Terror is actually named after? They did a they did a writing contest for like, hey, we need the scariest thing you can think of. What was it? Communism. <laughs> Communism <laughs> is the scariest thing you think of. The Red Terror. Go on Glen Academy's website. Think I'm wrong. I ain't making that up. <laughs> Congratulations. We will come back. Brooks Austin will join us. We will talk about the Bulldogs.
when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin BJ and Ben, glad you are with us. We'll hear from Kevin Whitley, Georgia Southern interim head football coach, coming up in just a little bit. Also, D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us coming up in our number two as well. We'll look at the the, the Falcons, and, oh, boy, they were awful uh, this weekend. He will uh, fill us in on the very latest there with the Atlanta Falcons. But first, another big weekend for Georgia. A lot of the talk going in, was Tennessee going to be fast? Were they going to be quick? Were they going to try to up-tempo Georgia to death and try to sneak out a uh, an upset victory? That answer was no. It, it, it worked for about a quarter, and then Georgia locked down, still covered at the end of the day. Our next guest, Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com, uh, joining us uh, here as he does each and every Monday. Brooks uh, started off quick, fast pace, and then Georgia kind of settled in, and, and that Tennessee offense never really looked quite the same uh, trying to put the ball in the end zone. Yeah, I think the uh, the big changing point for me was after the, uh, the field goal, the second scoring drive for uh, Tennessee. They, they they changed what they were doing. They moved Chris Smith down to the star position and and put the the former walk on and I still believe current walk on Dan Jackson uh, at safety and and put Latavius Brini on the sideline. Was having a little bit of trouble early. I know the first touchdown was actually on Brini. He was in man coverage, just kind of had his eyes in the backfield and uh, gave up a touchdown there. After the third drive where they kicked the field goal again to go up 10-7, to seven, um, yeah, Georgia pretty much made a move there. And then after that, I mean, it was pretty much locked down. And, and, and I think the main purpose behind that was Tennessee does so much offensively to force you into uh, a tremendous amount of man-to-man opportunities all across the field. And, uh, you know, Chris is just that much better of a cover guy than Latavius. If it's a team that's going to be constantly running, you know, outside stretch into, into the uh, – the boundary or into the into the nickel corner, you need a guy that can tackle. If they're going to be throwing the ball all over the place and attacking one-on-one matchups, you need a guy that can cover, and that was the big changing point. Brooks, on offense, you had a really productive day from uh, James Cook, who had over 100 yards rushing, two touchdowns, and then a receiving score. Uh, was that kind of the ultimate example of his versatility and what he can do on even just a few touches, really? Yeah, I think he's he's been, you know, coming on hot as of late. I mean, he's, he's had some of his best games uh, and best touches uh, in, in the last three or four games. He's really catching a groove. But I, I think most importantly for James, that was a game I've kind of been waiting on for him for like four years. I went back through his game logs. He's had one other 100-yard game. And it's just because he doesn't get a lot of traditional run-carry opportunities. I felt like the offensive staff and, he, and, and maybe even Kirby realized pretty early on in that football game that, James was just seeing it maybe just a little bit better than anyone else that they had available. So they started giving him the abundance of carries. I think if you go back and look at the game logs, it's probably the first time in a long time, uh, maybe even ever, that he's been the leading carrier uh, exiting a football game. So I think it had a lot to do with opportunity, but also a lot to do with, you know, uh, James Cook just settling into who he is um, and, and continuing to somehow get better even four years into his career. I mean, Brooks, I mean, Kevin mentioned it earlier. When you talk about this Georgia defense, one thing, we, we know how great they are. We know how aggressive they are. But their their ability to adjust. You talk about a Tennessee offense that posed a lot of problems. They can stay ahead of the chains. But really after that first quarter, they guys really settled in. They was able to go out there and kind of be themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Georgia did a good job all day of, of doing a good enough job pressuring the football. Also saw a lot of gamesmanship. Um, I mean, everyone wants to talk about like laying down and, and guys potentially maybe faking injuries or whatever. I, I, I was more impressed by every single time Tennessee actually decided to, you know, change personnel. They got that new rule in college football they put in a couple of years back where the, the Lions judge has to stand over the ball and allow the defense to, 
to, uh, you know, rotate, you know, their personnel as well. And Georgia, you know, kind of jogged off the field, on and off the field, a lot slower than I've seen them move all year. Um, you know, I think defensively it was just as, as an impressive of a, as a performance as they've played all year considering what Tennessee can do to, uh, offensively. Um, and I think the, the, the nation kind of found out what Cedric Tillman was all about. That dude's been doing that on tape all year, by the way. He torched Alabama for like a buck sixty just a couple weeks ago. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Joining us here on 3 and Out. Brooks, Georgia 8-0 in SEC play. I mean, that's tough to do uh, any time, but uh, just kind of that finish the drill mantra of this team to go 8-0 uh, in the SEC, that's got to be special. I know not the end-all, be-all goal, obviously, but uh, that's, a, that's a tough thing that just not everybody does. We look at all these teams, we're like, oh, everybody's going you know, 8-0 and going you know, 13-0. It, it just doesn't happen like that very often. Yeah, I, I looked at it today. They're the, they're the lone remaining undefeated team in the Power 5 football as of right now. It's the first time a Georgia team has ran through the SEC slate since, I believe, 1982. Um, and it's the first time they've done it since divisions were created within the conference. So yeah, it's quite a milestone what they went through. Now, it, it's been kind of normalized because Alabama does it all the time. Clemson does it in the ACC all the time now, it seems like. Um, but, no, nah, this, this is a first in a long time. Uh, for the University of Georgia, and as like I said, as of right now, it's it's a rarity in college football to see teams make it through uh, a, a, an eight a nine game conference schedule uh, undefeated. And Brooks, to that point, you know Georgia's had to play with big time expectations uh, really throughout the whole season. In every game going back to the Clemson game, since that one, they've won by at least seventeen points. How impressive is it that Georgia's not only winning, but with the brightest lights on them, they continue to play and really dominate just about whoever they line up against. Yeah, I think it goes back to something that Kirby Smart's been talking about all year, and it's the, the veteran leadership on this football team. The the upperclassmen, just they, they don't accept mediocrity at any point uh, it, within any game. They don't lay down at all. Even I mean, the, to me, the, the Missouri, or the I think it was the Missouri game, the Missouri fourth quarter stand with the third unit on the defense in there on a fourth and goal, and the whole entire sideline just absolutely like it's the biggest play of the game. That to me was kind of a sign and like a a, a perfect portrayal of what this football team is. They're a you know, handle your business, go about this, go about ways in which the standard is the standard in every opportunity you can, and that's how you go about winning football games that you're favored in, like they've been doing. And that's how you go about going on to an undefeated season if that is what it ends up being. Stats the minute obviously don't he don't got the numbers that a Matt Corral have or you know a Sam Howell have but he has what nobody else has and that's zero that's a, a O in the L column. I know I know Brooks I ask you this every single week. I'm not saying JT versus Stetson. I think it's Stetson's team now. But how much has Stetson been admitted to this team this year and how much did he grow up last year? You know I I think he he had stretches last year where he really put the ball at risk. Um, and he's had, you know, minor stretches like that, particularly in the Florida game. It was uh, a good, you know, eight to ten throw stretch where he was just really, really risky with the football. Outside of that, he's protected it pretty well. Um, but, no, I, I think I, I can only listen to Kirby Smart tell the media and tell everyone over and over and over again how important his legs are before people, I think, just finally wake up and realize it. Like, the, the interior of this offensive line, they're, they're pretty good in the run game. They, they do a decent enough job. But they've been giving up pressure interiorly pretty much all year, like year-round. And, and if you've got a guy back there that can't move, 
you're probably going to give up a lot of sacks. Look, Georgia's like top 10 right now in sacks allowed, and I would put majority of that towards the credit of the offensive coordinator and the mobility of your quarterback more so than the play of your offensive line. They've been good. They haven't been top 10 nationally great. That's not what they've been. They've been a lot of, hey, our offensive coordinator is moving the pocket like crazy every time we get an opportunity to throw it. And even if we give up interior pressure, we got a little guy back there that's just running around like a chicken with his head cut off and making something happen somehow, some way. So, um, yeah, I think Stetson's meant a lot, but his legs have meant a tremendous amount to this football team. Brooks Charleston Southern this week for, for Georgia. How do they use this game? Is this a uh, get healthy week and maybe you get by not playing all the starters who might be a little banged up? Or how do you think Georgia approaches that this week against an opponent that, again, it, it, you could probably pick the score? Yeah, I mean, Kirby, Kirby's going to tell you we got to prepare for Charleston Southern. We got to prepare for a ball game, all that stuff. I can tell you this much. I put it up to my readers and my, my subscribers today and asked them what they wanted in terms of a content plan this week. And they all want to look at Bama already. And Georgia fans aren't even looking at Charleston Southern. They really aren't even looking at Georgia Tech other than the fact that it's Georgia Tech. They're ready for Bama. Everyone is mentally focused on Bama. Um, but as for Georgia, I think you see kind of like a, hey, let's get a three-score lead, then let's get some young guys some reps um, over the next you know, two weeks, basically. Brooks, finally, I know you've talked about this at different points during the season, but Georgia's undefeated, number one in the country. Where do they still need to get better as a football team? I think if you watch Saturday's game, you got to be a little bit worried about a team being able to, you know, stand in there and throw deep shots if they're willing to do it, right? Like, if you're willing to turn the ball over three and out and just bank on scoring and beating Georgia with only explosives, then then go ahead. You better have a good defense. So, I think the, the the recipe for success this year against Georgia is have a have a really like absurd amount of verticality to your offense and have a defense that can have early down success and put Stetson Bennett into third and longs. If you don't have those two things, I don't think you got a chance of beating Georgia this year. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI, our guest here on Three and Out. Brooks, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, gentlemen, we'll talk to you soon. We'll do, Brooks Austin. Always a pleasure talking with him. Uh, Dogs Daily on SI. Check it out. Does a great job breaking down the dogs each and every week. We'll come back. We'll hear from the interim head coach of the Georgia Southern Eagles, Kevin Whitley, after a big win on the road against Texas State over the weekend. He joins us next here on 3 and Out. A big win over Texas State over the weekend, 38-30. to The head football coach, the interim head football coach of the Georgia Southern uh, Eagles, Kevin Whitley, joining us here on 3 and Out. Coach, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Talk about Saturday going on the road, snapping a four-game losing streak and and really playing well to finish it up in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, we were very excited about the win, uh, particularly getting it on the road. You know, we had some struggles. Uh, playing well on the road, but we're able to put four quarters together and uh, pull out a win. So I was very excited uh, for our players, in particular our seniors. And, Coach, walk us through that game because there were big plays on offense, on defense, on special teams. You had a couple of block punts. I mean, you guys were able to make the big plays late, but what was it like being in a back-and-forth contest where there were just a lot of big plays all over the field? Yeah, a lot of big plays. Some some of the plays we don't want want to be seen made. You know, we had another block punt this week. Uh, things we got to correct. But I thought our guys came out well. Uh, again, being on the road, one thing we tried to emphasize is starting out fast. We didn't want to get in the hole and have to fight our way back. But the guys again we came out hard. You know, they played fast. We were able to get some momentum. We were able to get a lead, and we were trying to take a lead in the halftime. Then we got a punt block, and just kind of do it. But I was really excited 
uh, twofold. Number one, when we got the punt block went into halftime, you know, our guys didn't uh, start pointing fingers in the locker room. We were able to regroup and come out the second half and, and perform well. So uh, that put the fact that when we got Gerald Green hurt, you know, uh, our guys were still able to remain composed and, and find a way to get the, get the win. And, Coach, how much has this team grown up in the last month or so? I mean, you talk about most teams, you know, you have special teams, uh, you know, blunders that usually lead to an L. You talk about it didn't point the finger. How much has these, How much has this team grown up over the last month or so? It's been uh, – the growth has been tremendous. I think, um, you know, injuries have forced us to play a lot of kids that probably was ne- not necessarily going to play this early. But, you know, anytime you can look on the field, we may have six or seven freshmen uh, on the field. And so – I think uh, early on, they were trying to figure out the pace of the game, uh, understand what their roles were. But guys have grown up. I'm Two freshman linebackers, for example, uh, they're more vocal on the field. They're playing faster. And that's just because they understand more what's going on now and what's expected of them. So the growth has been tremendous. I think the future's bright for Georgia Southern. We're playing a number of freshmen. We're playing some walk-ons. Um, you know, and so, you know, Coach Heldon's set up for success. So we, we're going to wish him uh, continue to try to do the best we can do. And uh, let's see what we can do against BYU. Kevin Whitley, interim head coach at uh, Georgia Southern. Joining us here on 3 and 9. Coach, you mentioned uh, Gerald Green. Obviously a, a scary scene there uh, on the field. What can you tell us, if you can, uh, kind of the latest with him and how he's doing? Yeah, I mean, that was a scary scene. Um, you know, the blessing is it was only a concussion. Uh, but, you know, at that moment, you, you're not sure quite what it is. You know, he's not moving. Uh, he's uh, a little responsive. So, just glad there was only a concussion. Uh, the medical staff at Georgia Southern and Texas State did a tremendous job um, monitoring the situation and maintaining and keeping everybody calm. Um, and so everybody did a great job. I, you know, it's the second time this season that we've had a guy on the field. And so just, you know, how our kids respond and, and how the medical staff keeps everything in control is really, really um, fascinating. So, um He's okay. Uh, you know, like I said, he was able to get back on the plane and travel back with us, which uh, made the plane erupt when he got on. So that was that was exciting. Great to hear. And, uh, Coach, you mentioned you guys have BYU this weekend. They're coming in as a top 15 team. Uh, what's the uh, uh, preparation like for a program that is obviously nationally known? Well, you know what? Anytime you put a top 15 team, it's a big deal. You know, BYU is probably one of the uh, toughest teams in the country. I know every year they're in the discussion uh, for, you know, trying to break through to the college football playoffs on some years. But just a real tough team, do really good on offense, tough on defense, solid on special teams. And so it's a big deal. But, you know, for Statesboro, you know, this is our uh, top opponent ever coming into Paulson Stadium. We should have a packed house. And uh, this is a big deal for us. But, you know, as we grow our program and get Georgia Southern where we want it to be, we want it just to be another Saturday in Paulson. We're playing a top 15 team, and then we're ready to compete at that level. And, Coach, uh, you mentioned earlier that you're trying to make sure that you uh, hand over the reins to Coach Heldon when he comes to a program that's still trending up with, with a big win this weekend. Have you had a chance to sit down and talk with Coach Heldon? Has he given you any advice with you know with these uh, games uh, still coming up and play? Yeah, I think uh, Coach Heldon has done a great job since he's been here. What he's kind of done is uh, just kind of uh, assess the situation and see what changes he thinks needs to be made. You know, right now, we have not talked about anything specific, uh, just more of him getting a feel for the players, getting a feel for the facilities, and just kind of, uh, you know, getting a jump on spring ball. You know, normally these high, you know, he wouldn't be here until after the season, so he wouldn't be able to get able to evaluate players 
at practice, but he's able to see coaches at practice. He's able to see players at practice. So it just gives him a head start on uh, on spring ball. So I think, uh, you know, it's only going to benefit him and benefit the players. He's able to meet with some players one-on-one and uh, even meet with some coaches. So it's, it's been a win-win for everybody thus far. Kevin Whitley joining us here on Three and Out. And uh, you mentioned uh, the fight you guys showed on the road, and uh, th- that's kind of a, a staple of Georgia Southern, right? That you play hard and you go all out, uh, even though the season three and seven, not what you hoped it would be. But just talk about the kids on this roster, knowing th- there's going to be a coaching change. The season hasn't been what they thought it would be, but they're still going out there and obviously uh, giving 100% and fighting to the very last minute. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, extremely proud of these guys. I think most people would think we would just roll or quit, but that's just not what these kids are made of. Um, they've been through a lot, coaching change, uh, you know, injuries. And we've had, you know, nine or ten kids have surgery this year, so it's been a next man up mentality. And those guys have stepped in and played really well. Like I said, we played a lot of freshmen. We played some walk-ons. So we played a lot of guys getting experience who normally wouldn't have been able to get some experience. But we've shown a lot of resilience, a lot of toughness. Uh, that won't that will continue this week. You know, like I said, we got to be ready to go. Uh, we'll get an injury report here today, and we'll see who can play. And you know, we'll get eleven on the field, and, and we'll get those guys to play hard. Coach, you're one of the great players in program history. You've had tremendous success as an assistant, now winning games as an interim head coach. What has the last month, the last six to eight weeks, been like for you? Well, uh, first of all, don't don't use that word "great" too loosely. I don't know if I was a great player here. Uh, just kind of play hard, um, and I think uh, the last six to eight weeks have been a blessing to me. Uh, it's something that I didn't see happening, uh, but when it happened, and you know, I wanted to do anything for my university, so I love Georgia Southern. Uh, I've learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot of, about some of the things behind the scenes that you don't see as an assistant coach. And like I said, it's been uh, a tremendous uh, opportunity for myself. Uh, I've got to learn the players a little more. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't complain. Like I said, it, the record is not where we want it to be, but I can see our guys getting better. I can see them uh, getting to uh, understand some of the things we're trying to trying to communicate with them. So uh, it's been great. And I, I look forward to see what Coach Hilton would do moving forward. Coach, the hardest thing for any interim head coach to do is to implement his style or mentality on a team. You only get so so much uh, time to do it with what you what you guys were able to show on Saturday. How much how much is that a credit to you? I mean, not the the players are going to play hard, but as you mentioned, football is a game of inches. Football is a game of situations. Didn't wasn't the best situation, but they still got the win. You you come in as an interim and you got to implement your mentality on these guys. How much of you do you see in them, even if it's only been a short amount of time? Well, I, I, I appreciate how you stated that, but it, it's really not about me. I think uh, anytime you're an interim coach, you do come in with um, under difficult circumstances. You can't implement everything you would do, you know, but you try to make subtle changes to uh, hopefully get you going in the right direction. That's what we tried to do. Uh, I don't make any decisions by myself. I've got a great staff. And so we collaborate and try to, you know, try to tweak things that we think will give us an opportunity to win. So that's what we've tried to do. I, I think the, these guys are tough. Uh, I just want the guys not to quit. You know, don't quit. Don't roll over. Don't make excuses. You know, let's just play, till we, and, let's play and fight till we can't fight anymore. So uh, that's what they've done. Like I said, uh, it was a big win for us on the road. We hadn't played well on the road. And so now, you know, we're going to have a packed crowd here. You know, it'll be 25,000 people here. You'll at home, you'll be senior night, you know, how can you not play hard in that situation? So that's what we'll do. We'll try to get prepared the best we can, and we'll be ready to play on, on Saturday. 
And again, BYU coming in to Statesboro this weekend. Kevin Whitley, interim head coach there at Georgia Southern, our guest here on 3 and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Guys, I thank you for having us, and uh, thank you for covering Georgia Southern football. Yes, sir. Kevin Whitley joining us here on 3 and Out. We've got much more to come all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here 3 and Out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, we saw the... College football season coming to the end at the uh, the D2 level. They're getting ready for the playoffs. Savannah State not in there. Of course, they did not play this weekend, BJ. They do regional playoffs uh, in Division Two, And Savannah State, I believe the first team out. Uh, they we, we talked to Sean Quinn last week. Needed some teams ahead of them to lose. That actually happened. And they get jumped by a team from behind them. Again, a team behind them in the rankings beat a team in front of them, and they kind of flip-flop rankings. So uh, the way D2 also does it, regionalized uh, playoffs, so you kind of have a south bracket. And Savannah State, I believe, unfortunately, ended up being the first team out. But a uh, tremendous season uh, there for Savannah State, 8-2. and two, uh, Only two losses. One was to Valdosta State, who was the number one team in the South Bracket, who actually lost this weekend as well. So we had a couple of teams uh, ahead of you lose, but Valdosta State stays as the number one seed in the South Bracket at 9-1, and one, and Savannah State at 8-2, and two, and that's how close it is. We talk about the playoffs at the FCS level, uh, BJ and Ben. One or two losses, and that might be all it takes to knock you out of the playoffs uh, there at, uh, at D2, even though obviously you have a 24-team uh, playoff, 21-team or something like that playoff bracket with the number one seeds getting by. So uh, tough, tough way to go for Savannah State, but obviously building towards something big in, uh, in the future. Yeah, disappointed for the Tigers when you were right there on the outside looking in and you felt like maybe one upset could get you in and then it didn't happen. But a lot to be proud of for those guys. You know, the season they've had at Savannah State, uh, they've they've established themselves as a national name, one of the top programs in, in Division Two, And I think, you know, saw a, lot of, saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, hey, you know, disappointed, frustrated, but we know that more success – is on the horizon. So Savannah State is 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 coming. They're going to be in the national tournament very soon. Uh, this is a program that is very much on the rise. A lot to be proud of. A lot of success. I know a lot of young players on the roster too. Talking to Coach Quinn, you know, freshmen, sophomores. Uh, so Savannah State's going to be right there in the years to come. And I know they're disappointed, but congratulations on a great season. Yeah, I mean, had to battle back. I mean, Kevin, I mean, and BJ, we can talk about this too. Didn't get a chance to play uh, all last year. To go eight and two this year shows that. Sean Quinn definitely got those guys playing some big-time football. Absolutely, and again, uh, brighter days ahead for them. But, again, should have been in the conference championship. Couldn't a couple of years ago because of the, the rules. Now you miss it by one. They're certainly building in a positive direction there at, uh, at Savannah State. And uh, the future, as I said, looks very, very bright. We'll take three when we come back. D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, covers the Falcons. We'll talk about that debacle with him coming up in hour number two as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hour two here of three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, will join us. We talk Falcons football with him, and there's a lot to break down that, well, was just plain gross from uh, from yesterday. He'll join us coming up in just a little bit. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, fellas. We'll start with the Falcons. Take one. Would you rather the Falcons just lose the rest of the way to have a better draft pick or win and build up some consistent success. 
And I've seen a lot of people then post about this on social media saying, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs. We just had one of the worst losses in franchise history. I mean, getting beat by 40 points in the NFL is, is hard to do. So I've heard a lot of people say, would it be better if we just lose more games from a Falcons perspective so that we could have a top 10, top five pick? And my answer is no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that because once you establish a culture of losing, where it's okay or acceptable to lose, it becomes really hard to turn that around. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I mean, we talk about it all the time. I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. If it was as simple as get a top five pick for a couple of years and you become a consistent Super Bowl contender, the Jaguars would be right there. I mean, the Jaguars have had countless, countless top 10, top 15 picks. And you never know what's going to happen with those guys. Sometimes works out right away. Sometimes the situation doesn't work out and you end up, you know, trading a guy like CJ Henderson, who was just picked in the top 10. Sometimes players don't develop. Sometimes it's not a good schematic fit. And sometimes it takes more than just talent to overcome that culture of losing. And we talk about this in all sports. For the most part, teams that are bad stay bad and the draft doesn't help them. I mean, I know the Browns have made the playoffs now recently, but you look at Cleveland, you look at Jacksonville, you look at Detroit. These are teams that have had top five, ten picks every year. They, they, they don't change their fortunes. So I think you want to be careful about playing for the draft. I mean, Kevin, you've talked about this. Wasn't that long ago the Atlanta Falcons had never had back-to-back winning seasons. And you're not going to make a deep run this year. You don't have the talent to. But I think staying around 500, maintaining that competitive edge, maintaining respectability is important. And then if you're good at what you do in the draft and in player development, you can win without having a a draft in the top five. When's the last time the Steelers did that? When's the last time the Seahawks did that? When's the last time the Ravens did that? I mean, when's the last time the Patriots have done that? If you're a good organization, you don't have to draft in the top five. Be very careful with that I want to lose stuff because it's hard to turn it around once you do. If you want to lose so that you can can get a high draft pick, that's that's not a culture. That's nonsense. Name a time a winning strategy was to lose. We're going to lose to get the best possible pick. BJ, you're talking about the Cleveland Browns, right? 76ers, that worked out great. Exactly. The 76 have <laughs> went from the process to having a guy a part of the process who don't even want to be there anymore, refuse to play. But it's, it's funny that you mentioned the Browns. The Browns have a number one overall pick of quarterback. Both of their starting edge rushers are number one overall picks. Their starting quarterback is a fifth overall pick, and they're last in the division right now. They're last in the division. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, who's third in that division, right, has a number one overall pick at quarterback, and I think a number four, number five, Guy at receiver. There, you know, I, I just think that when you start talking about trying to build a culture, a culture is built on understanding that we're gonna go, we're gonna lose, but we're not trying to lose. Think about that for a second, though. Kevin, I, I, Kevin is Kevin is the coach on this show, right? Kevin is the coach on this show. Kevin goes in and tells his team, hey fellas, listen, we're gonna lose today. And just trust me. They're gonna be like, what? Like, yeah, we're going to lose so that next year, you know, we're going we gonna to get, like, just like in college, we're going to say this year didn't count. So we're just going to lose out to have a winning strategy. We want to have a positive outcome with a negative outlook. Just, just, just stay with me. No, BJ. Listen, somebody said, I hated losing, right? I hated it. I lost, I lost a lot more games uh, than, I, than I thought I could, but I, I went out there and I competed. 
How you gonna tell somebody, hey, you finally made it to the big leagues? But this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna lose as many games as possible so we can get Kayvon Thibodeau. Then the next year, we're gonna lose as many games as possible so we can get, you know, Reggie White Jr. Jr. No, 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 no. It is hard to win consistently, but it's even worse when you're not even trying to win. What am I coming to practice for if we're gonna lose anyway? What am I lifting weights for and studying tape for? So, yes, BJ. You talking about them Falcons? I know I, I do agree with something that Kevin said. They don't if they play like it on Sunday, it looked like they're trying to lose <laughs> with the way they played on Sunday. But you're trying to build a mentality more than a culture. Mentality comes before culture. Build a winning mentality is by stacking bricks every day. Then hopefully over time you'll see what you built. But if you ain't stacking no bricks, you ain't building no mentality. It, you know, you're going to have the 43 to 3s, but I, 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 I just think for me, when people say, well, we're just going to tank. You're going to tank what? Well, we're going to Some teams been tanking forever. Yeah. Like the, De- the Detroit Lions got the Pittsburgh Steelers to tie. They didn't win or lose, but they definitely <laughs> didn't win, so we'll see. Yeah, I think what the Falcons are stacking is uh, a little more squishy and stinks <laughs> a little bit. I think that's what they are. I think that's what they're stacking. No, look, I, look, I, I, I think if you're Arthur Smith, you don't want to come in. And, I mean, you took you took you were here because the previous guy underachieved, right? That that is why you are are here. Yep. Because the previous guy had good talent and didn't win enough and didn't get the job done and underachieved. You don't want to come in in year number one and say, "Well, maybe if I just lay it down here." He's not saying that, but as an organization, go to your guys and say, "Oh, if we don't win, it's not it's not the worst thing." No, no, it is the worst thing. That's why teams who are losers stay losers. That's what uh, I think Ben is getting at. So uh, you don't want that to become part of the mantra of, hey, let's just stink for this one guy because chances are you need a lot more than one guy. You just need to draft better. Not let's get the top five. Draft better at 10. Draft better at 15. Draft it. You just need to draft better uh, when you do have those opportunities. And I think that's what the Falcons uh, need to do. But that performance yesterday was embarrassing. And Dan Quinn did a number Oh, oh, on his oh, oh Dan Quinn proved he can still call plays. <laughs> Just now he want to call plays for the defense. Then he's gone. Okay. <laughs> Moving along, take two. BJ, I feel like this is your hopeful question of the day. Are the Jags getting better? They only lost by a touchdown. They had the ball in their hands, and your franchise quarterback was going to lead it up. Fumble. Game over. Are they getting better? Yes, kind of. Um, look, I'm going to say this in the most compartmentalized uh, uh, answer of all time. They're two and two in their last four. Okay, so, them, so listen, give them credit for that. Now, 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 hold on. Now, hold on. They may have lost like 20 in a row before that, but they're two and two in their last four. So because of that, I will say modestly Yes, you know, you beat Miami before the bye week back in the middle of October. You really played poorly against Seattle without Russell Wilson. But I think given that you were going, you know, halfway around the world, you know, going across the country from Jacksonville to Seattle, you you, kind of saw that coming. Uh, And then you had the hard-to-explain win over Buffalo. But, Ben, you told me this this morning. I didn't even notice. Buffalo scored 45 on Sunday. And you held the Bills to six. I still can't really explain that game outside of Josh Allen just dominating and having one of the you know games of anybody last weekend in the NFL. And even though you lost, and I hate the moral victory thing, I think for, for Jacksonville to have a chance late against Indianapolis, I think it's a step in the right direction. And I think it was Bobby Bowden who used to say, 
First you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, then you win big. And Jacksonville's still in the lose close kind of part of that process, but they appear to be at least competing. And disappointed in the loss, you had a chance at the win at Indianapolis. You have San Francisco coming up this weekend, then you have Atlanta at the end of the month. That should be thrilling down in Jacksonville. But I think they are getting better. I think Ben is just so hard for fans. You had one win last year. Now you had two wins. I mean, maybe you can get to three or four, but the the steps are very deliberate. They're very modest. I don't think you're jogging forward. I think you're still walking forward, but I do think some progress is being made. Yes, BJ, they are getting better. It's not always going to show up in the win column. I mean, that, 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 that that's the ultimate goal. You know, one of, the, one of the main goals each week is to get better each week. BJ, you, you keep on saying Buffalo scored 45, I mean, scored 40, 45 yesterday. They held Buffalo scoreless on offense. The youngest team in the National Football League has two things going for it. One, it held one of the best offenses in the NFL to, to zero points, you know, offensively. Two, they're not the worst team in that division. That would be the Houston Texans. Houston Texans are one and eight. I know people say, yeah, but they're only two and eight. Let me tell y'all something. It, it is hard to win. It's even harder to win consistently. You know what's even harder to do with that? When your average age is 22, 23. That means my, my veterans are in their third year, second year. These are some of the best players on my team. So, yes, BJ, they are making strides. Look, when you play when you play uh, divisional games, these are two teams that know each other. Carson Wentz didn't look Carson Wentz. You know, he ain't, he ain't look like himself on Sunday, but they are still playing hard. They're not just laying down. They're in a lot of these games, too. The fourth quarter is what they're going to have to do a better job of. You're in the game in the fourth quarter. Don't do something in you know two minutes or three minutes of the game. A lot of things can change. Like, I don't know, Trevor Lawrence, when you're getting ready to go in for, you know, a touchdown, that clock that goes off in your head is going off again. Sack, fumble. That's the quarterback. Pocket, pocket's closing. They finna get the ball out. Come on. so And that's rookie mistakes. But, yes, they are getting better. It's not always going to show up in the win column. But, like I said, at least they have two wins. You know who has a win and a loss? If you want to call it that, the Detroit Lions. They still haven't won a game outright yet. And it's and, and, and the Houston. So, right now, if the draft was right now, it would be Detroit 1. It would be Houston 2. And then it would be, you know, uh, them Jaguars 3. Well, what about the Jets? How many yep. wins did the Jets have? Exactly. I, I, I think the Jets got two wins, so I'm sorry. Uh, I think I think they got – so it will be a coin flip with, with y'all two. So either y'all will go three and they'll go four or y'all will go yep. – you know, so they'll go four either way. Either way, BJ, y'all in the top five right now. I will say, yes, BJ, they are a little bit better, and I will simply use a quote from someone on this show to prove it. My first year, I won four games. Come on. My second year, we won five. Talk about it. Here we talk, go. Talk, <laughs> and, 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 and listen, and, and, to, and listen, and to most, and to, but it's the thing, right? This is the thing. To most, now at first, people go, yeah, but y'all only won one more game. But it's the thing. We were still one of the youngest teams in the league. One of the young, and that, and that's, and that goes a long way. So yes, we went from four to five to I think eight. No, we did my fourth year. Went to the playoffs. So we went from four to five to eight to ten. Went to the playoff. Played with Daniel Thomason and Sean Merriman and Sean Phillips and you know uh, Philip Rivers and we got that L. But it was a better <laughs> game than people giving credit for. So yes, BJ, the building blocks are there, and y'all got a quarterback you can rally around. And like I said, last year you won one. Now you want to. Maybe you'll get to that coveted three. <laughs> Moving along, speaking of three, take three. And, and maybe it's not their fault. Teams have taken a precipitous slide after they played the Bulldogs. But in this era of resumes and updating your resume, obviously 10-0 speaks pretty loudly. But what 
would you consider Georgia's best win to be? Wow. And you do make an interesting point. Like, right after teams play Georgia, not only does Georgia beat them, but it takes those teams, like, three or four weeks to bounce back before they can play consistent football, uh, which has been, you know, something in its own in, it, in its own way when you think about how Georgia's beaten teams. Um, you know, Clemson is, is, is not good. They were obviously in the top five when they played. Auburn is taking a step back. That was a real letdown for them on Saturday. Kentucky... I think it's Arkansas, and and keep in mind, I know we were talking about a different landscape, but when Georgia beat Arkansas, Arkansas was number eight in the country, and even in the SEC West, Arkansas has remained viable. Defensively, they're really good. Just one at LSU. I know LSU, this is not a vintage team, but you still win in Death Valley. That's impressive. Arkansas was one play away from beating Ole Miss in that wild game. Uh, You know, you can't say Florida. Maybe you could say Tennessee, maybe on the road. But I think Arkansas is a really good team out west. Again, they beat LSU on Saturday. I think that Arkansas win, especially the way in which you won, a shutout. You beat Arkansas 37-0. to Traylon Burks did nothing in that game. I will say Georgia's best win is Arkansas. I will say Georgia's best win is Tennessee. And the reason why I say Tennessee is, BJ, I'll take it. I can agree with everything you said about Arkansas, but Tennessee was a game, Kevin and BJ, that, that, that had Georgia do something that's never done. Go 8-0 in SEC play. I mean, I, they, they made everybody look average. Let's just call it that. Everybody they played, everybody was good going into the game, but it was much to do about nothing coming out of the game. But I think when you talk about a Georgia team to stay as focused as they've been, an offense that polls, at least in the first quarter, uh, could pose uh, some, some problems for the Georgia team. But BJ and Kevin, going 8-0 in SEC play, I mean, that – you, you, that's not something that we just see hardly ever. So for me, it's Tennessee because of the significance of the game, not necessarily the game itself. So because Tennessee is the game that helped them go to 8-0 in SEC play, I'm going to go with the Vols. Yeah, I think the Vols really were one of the hotter teams that played yeah. at the time. I think Arkansas got bolstered by a big win, and then after Georgia beat them, they fell out of the top 25 uh, relatively quickly, and they're back in there uh, down their bottom. And I would say, hey, well, that's a ranked win. It is, uh, and, and maybe Kentucky. I just think Tennessee, time and place, uh, that's their best win right now for Georgia. We'll come back. A team that did not win this weekend, the Atlanta Falcons. Did not win. Didn't even come close to winning. And the Cowboys were totally disrespectful, Ben. Went for two while they were up 30 <laughs> and got it. Dan Quinn. Hey, Falcons, it was fun. We'll talk to D. Orlando Ledbetter about that when we. Good to have you here, three and out. On this Monday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben Falcons. Uh, well, the only thing you can say is it was rough there against uh, the Dallas Cowboys over the weekend. Falcons losing 43-3. to Our next guest uh, covers the Atlanta Falcons for AJC.com. D. Orlando Ledbetter joins us. Daryl, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty great, guys. Thanks for having me on the show today. Oh, hey, we're glad you're with us. Uh, you know, you've covered the Falcons for a long time. That's got to be right up there with the all-time worst performances on a, on a Sunday afternoon football game you've seen from them. Oh, yeah, it was. For me, I wasn't covering the team in 04, uh, but I remember the game when Priest Holmes ran up and down the field on them 56-10 to 10 in 2004. That's the worst uh, loss since, since 2004. I mean, Daryl, you look at the box score, it's not pretty. Three turnovers, just over 200 yards rushing, or uh, total yards, I should say, 
you lose by 40, but you talk about seeing things you don't see a lot. In the second quarter alone, Atlanta got outscored 29-0. to How does that happen? Yeah, um, three and out, no execution. Um, you know, receivers running wide open through the secondary, no pass rush. You know, everything just came together for the Dallas Cowboys uh, on Sunday. Orlando, you knew that Dan Quinn was going to call a good game, not not because he was necessarily going up against uh, the Falcons, but what they what they weren't able to do a week ago, uh, you know what I'm saying, against those Broncos. But just this this Atlanta team as a whole, no offensive creativity. You're not getting the defensive, uh, you know, effort that you would want. Are there any bright spots coming out of this game? Uh, no, no, Ben. Not, not a one unless you count garbage time fantasy yards. Uh, they did force a fumble. I mean, we're looking real close at it. And they did run the ball late with Wayne Gallman against the backup. So, other than that, uh, you know, Grady made some tackles in the backfield. They stopped the run a little bit. But it didn't matter if you got receivers running around the secondary wide open. Darrell, let's stick offensively. Obviously, Matt Ryan, uh, pretty pretty average nine completions uh, on, I think, 21, 23 uh, attempts. But – by all accounts, the offensive line, one of its worst performances uh, of the season. How how bad a shape is that offensive line in? Because obviously there's not a quick fix there, but just how bad a shape is that offensive line in? Uh, and maybe with respect to what it even limits them trying to do with their play calling. Yeah, well, we've been harping all year on the fact that they can't run the football and they're not a balanced offense. So, um, and, and we kept asking, hey, how can y'all get better? And they kept saying we just uh, – Going to do it incrementally, you know. Uh, and Dallas just said, hey, we're going to stop the run and take away your passing game. And they shut down the offense totally. It was Matt Ryan's worst passer rate never. The other one was 29-6 in his second game against the Buccaneers and the old Tampa 2 defense with Monty Kiffin. So it's been 13 years since he had a game this bad. And I don't think you can put all that on the uh, – offensive line you know they they batted down 10 of his passes so they were either late or they knew the route but Dan Quinn definitely had his boys ready to play and they gave him a game ball for shutting down his former quarterback and his former team yeah and Daryl two picks for Matt Ryan you mentioned the terrible quarterback rating I mean it's this as simple with the Falcons as if Matt Ryan struggles not only is Atlanta gonna lose but they might get blown out like we saw on Sunday yeah, it, it is that. He's got to carry this young team. And um, and uh, him and his, his main guy is Kyle Pitts, the rookie, because they don't have a running attack. Uh, and then we just found out here today that Kyle Corderell Patterson uh, may be out for a couple games with the ankle injury. So now you got you got nothing on offense. Russell Gage can't get open. Calvin Ridley's, uh, you know, tending to personal mental health issues. And, um, you know, Mike Davis can't get through a hole if there is a hole there for him to get through. So uh, the problem uh, looks like they might be stacking up before they uh, uh, start getting better here for the Atlanta Falcons. And, Darrell, when you think about the offensive creativity, at least that's what you thought it was going to be coming into this season. You mentioned Kyle Pitts. I mean, box score-wise, yeah, he, he going to give you numbers, but – only one touchdown. How much of that has to do with the fact that they don't, they're going to try to take him away or they just don't have that many, uh, you know, red zone opportunities? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, they got down there pretty quick yesterday. They started off pretty good in the first two series. Um, got down there and stalled and then got, uh, you know, stopped at 32 when they went for it on fourth down. But that was it. Uh, you know, I think some teams saw how Miami tried to play him with Xavier uh, Howard and then how Carolina played him with Stephon Gilmore and some help. So, you know, a book is already out there on how to shut down Kyle Pitts or at least slow him down. Uh, and he doesn't have the benefit of Calvin Ridley working the double moves on the other side to keep some attention away from him. They're not so much concerned about Russell Gage uh, over there, and then they don't have any other receivers unless you count Alameda Zacchaeus who can get down the field and pose a threat. So it's, uh, they, they, they don't have all their weapons, and uh, they're kind of leaning and finding their way with the rookies. The Orlando Ledbetter joining us here on Three and Out. And, uh, and Daryl, you have a short week. Uh, that's a tough performance to go into a short week off of against the Patriots. What on earth do you do in three days to get ready to play that team on Thursday night? Yeah, you just forget about this Dallas game. I mean, there, there is anything you could take from it other than, hey, we got to play better. Uh, you know, New England, uh, they went into Cleveland and smoked the Browns. Or, no, they were at home, I think, but – Still, 45-7 to seven is a, a big win for him. And uh, Ramondre Stevenson, the rookie, um, you know, ran for 100 on him. Uh, you know, and they had Kendrick Bourne getting open for, for Mac Jones. So, um, you know, they, they got some weapons. They're not, you know, it's not Tom Brady and the Patriots anymore. But uh, it's a good football team that's 6-4. and four. And, Daryl, Atlanta's 4-5, and five, and I understand you inherited a roster with some limitations. Is it just too early to offer any kind of broad criticism of Arthur Smith? Or given the way you've looked, you know, certainly on Sunday, is it is it fair to say, hey, uh, we got to be better than this? Well, no, I don't, I don't know what he could have done unless he was going to cover C.D. Lamb. I mean, you know, the talent deficiency on Sunday, and it was, it was exposed, uh, you know, uh, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Omari Cooper. I mean, you can't – A.J. Terrell can't cover all three of them. And, uh, you know, and then they have some tight ends making plays. Then you got Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard against a rebuilt defense that, you know, got two, three players over there. So, there's no indictment on the coach. Uh, we knew it was a rebuilding and regrouping year. Uh, you know, they've been competitive in most games. They weren't competitive in this one. And there are going to be a couple more challenges like this when they play Buffalo, when they play Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, the talent disparity is going to be great. Uh, but, you know, will they fight and put up a better fight than what they did in Dallas? And, Orlando, when you think about the fact that, like you said, I mean, he can't, he can't, uh, Arthur Smith can't get past the talent deficiencies. You knew that going, going into the season. Cordell Patterson, as you mentioned, going to be out for a couple of games. What do they do in the run game outside of the fact that you're going to try to probably get somebody in there and hopefully they can pick up the system because there is no offensive identity with running the football at all this season? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, Ben, Wayne Gallman will get a shot at it. And, and, you know, if they can't move anybody off the ball, then, you know, go ahead and cut block and uh, stretch it outside. Let Wayne try to get the corner. Now, Mike was supposed to be running the corners, but he cuts everything back up into the traffic. So, um, you know, or they're not getting the cut blocks right. So, uh, if they don't just be nasty and cut block uh, and create some lanes, then let's see what Wayne and Mike Davis could do. They still got Quadri Ellison floating around here. Uh, Caleb Huntley just came off a, a, a practice squad IR. So, 
Uh, you know, they got some options to try to get the running game going. They got to do something. The Orlando Ledbetter, our guest here on 3 and Out, covers the Falcons for AJC.com. Daryl, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, and, Ben, we were talking during the break uh, before we uh, we brought Daryl on. He said, look, you could be bad offensively, but you can't just say, well, that guy's bad. No, you paid to go out there and block somebody. You've got to get better. And this Falcons team, uh, with one of the worst performances offensively on the line, especially that maybe they've had in a while. Yeah, and unfortunately, when it comes to professional sports, you're going you're gonna to get exposed more often than not. It's, it's, it's getting back to the basics. And, BJ, we talked about this. You got guys playing out of position along that offensive line. Whether it's due to injury or just trying to fill a need, that comes with football. I mean, Michael Parsons, the guy we talked about, you know, uh, you know, sometimes, BJ, you know, before the show, uh, he's the guy that's playing out of position. He got drafted to play linebacker. They had to, because 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 they got you know because you know Demarcus Lawrence got got uh, you know got hurt and obviously uh, Jalen Smith got cut. He had to move to uh, he had to move to defensive end slash outside linebacker. And you see how well he played against the Falcons. So it's about adjusting. I get it's not it's not the most opportunistic type offense or team to be on. Suck it up. This 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 is what you do. This is your livelihood. You have nothing else to do. So go out there and, and find a way to get it done. I mean, as my coach would say, son, when you was in college, you do stuff till you get it right. And, and, and the pros, we do it so you don't know how to get it wrong. So go out there until you don't know how to get it wrong. Be where you're supposed to be. You know, be, you know, be in the position you're supposed to be in when they stop the tape. Get your hand. Know, know your blocking assignments. Know, you know, know your reads because we don't appreciate Matty Ice because we, we judge him on what he isn't. Do you? I don't think in the last 10 years, outside of Tom Brady, nobody has meant more to a franchise than Matty Ice. Something you said, Kevin, he has to play well. For them to even have a shot, let alone winning it, and he's been having to do that since he got to Atlanta. We've got. Go ahead, BJ, real quick. I was just, you know, I I was just thinking, kind of what you guys asked, Daryl. How does it get better? I mean, what do you do to get better? You lost by forty on Sunday, but you mentioned, Kev, you have the Patriots in seventy-two hours. I mean, in in three days, what do you do? You go from one of your worst performances ever and say, "Hey, go play." Maybe one of the hotter young teams out there. Mac Jones really playing well. You just got carved up pretty good. I don't know if how, how it's going to go on Thursday night, even with it being at home. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Got an update from some Freddie Freeman news. We'll get to that uh, when we return. It's 3 and Out. Great to be here on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, for those who haven't been intently following uh, the Freddie Freeman Braves back and forth. We got a little bit of an update there for you. Reportedly over the weekend, Freddie Freeman turned down an offer from the Braves. Five years, $135 million. That's the average annual value, $27 million. A lot of people point to the Paul Goldschmidt uh, deal. as kind of like the new gold standard there for first baseman. He got five years, $130 million, uh, I believe, in the last round with the St. Louis Cardinals. So, Braves Freddie Freeman. Turns down 5-135, reportedly wants at least a six-year, closer to $200 million. Should Braves fans be worried? Is this part of negotiations? And then you, again, I am sure it is A, both true and possibly thrown out there by Freddie Freeman's agency. Why wouldn't you? Oh, by the way, the Yankees have shown interest. I'm sure Freddie's agent had nothing to do with that report coming out. Are you nervous, BJ, or do you feel like, look, it's just negotiations; it'll work itself out? I mean, I'm 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 disappointed in the first offer, and and I understand, 
you know, you know, Ben, you were talking about just the dynamic of being a professional athlete and, you know, how contract negotiations work. I, I understand that in theory, your support, your, your, your first offer, right, is kind of the low offer to respond to the high offer. And ultimately you go back and forth and you find the medium where everybody can agree, but you've been able to read between the lines. Even if Freddie Freeman hasn't come out and said, I want exactly this many years and I want exactly this much money, even fans, you know, you've read articles, you've seen tweets, you kind of already have a sense for what a realistic market for Freddie Freeman is. And, and Kevin, you mentioned it, I think probably six years closer to $200 million. And your offer was substantially short of that, considerably short of that. And I agree 100% that if the Braves are trying to sign a free agent pitcher or a bench piece, that you absolutely go the traditional route of I'm going to give you the low offer and then I'll respond to your counter offer. Oh, a counter offer. You do that and, and you play the game. I get it. But this has been something that's been talked about for two years. It's not like Freddie Freeman just suddenly, you know, there was this realization that he might leave. This has been talked about, prepared for, planned for, contemplated over for well over a year. Well, BJ, to, and, my, my counter to that, though, would also be this. And partially you could say, well, it's not his fault. It's the Braves' fault. But in the early negotiations, have been, you know, if it's been going on that long, how much of it was the Braves are saying, all right, we'll go one, you know, five years, $100 million, $110 million, and then $120, $130 will come up, and then you win an MVP, and then you win a World Series. Obviously, the price is going to go up, and the Braves are like, we've been offering you money, commensurate with what you've been doing as it's gone along, and now you're going to jump it up. I, sure, I know you're saying, sure, but, I know I you're saying but that's what business guys do. They're going to say, look, we've been offering you big, you know, market value deals, and now, again, yeah, we won the World Series, won an MVP, and you're going to go $70 million over that. I, I, I think this is part of the negotiations. The Braves want to be here, want him there. I think Freddie wants to be there. I'm not Matt, necessarily nervous, but I do think quick, if I'm Freddie's agent, I'm putting out there that the, that the Yankees are interested. I certainly am doing that. Yeah, all I'm saying is in your negotiations that were kind of preemptive, right, when you were theorizing what could happen a year ago, a year and a half ago, surely you were aware that a guy who has been on the brink of winning an MVP and a team that was just within one out of making it to the World Series was theoretically capable of winning an MVP in a World Series. I yeah. mean, surely that just didn't surprise you and yeah, stun yeah. you out no. of the blue. Hold yeah. on, to the extent that you had no way to possibly hold on, hold on, account hold on, for that. Hold on, hold on. I just I'll, think this offer is so low, Ben. It, but it's, I, but it, hold on, hold on, no, 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 no. The, the, the offer isn't low, BJ. Like, think about this. Remember when, listen, Goldschmidt just got 130. They're giving him five million more. No, it's not low. It's just that's not what he wanted. Now, BJ, we do radio for a living. People come up to you and they just start throwing takes at you. You start saying, "Dude, I listen, bro. Like, I don't just walk around a radio guy all the time." Now, the perception is we are radio all the time. Front office people are thinking about the organization. Do they appreciate Freddie Free? Yes. Do you want Freddie Free to be a lifer? Yes. Is Freddie Free getting 200 mil from the from the Braves? No. Not because he isn't worth it, BJ, but because we have to think about the present and the future at the same time. Is Freddie Free worth 200 million? Yeah. Is the Braves giving it to him? Hell no. Mm-mm. Because <laughs> I don't think those are mutually exclusive, man. I don't I don't think you you can say that that Freddie Freeman is this great player, but we can't give him two hundred million. Yes, you, you knew, can. Yeah, yes, you, you can knew that say this that. was going to be the cause. No, BJ, BJ, if the, the Braves if the Braves lose to the Milwaukee Brewers, are you thinking five years one thirty five is still unreasonable? 
Absolutely. Five, listen, five years, 135 is not unreasonable because he, he is reshaped. Listen, when Goldschmidt got his deal, I remember You're Kevin You're talking going, about Hall of Famer, dude. I like Goldschmidt. Whoa, whoa. Goldschmidt is not in the same ballpark but, as Freddie Freeman. But, 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 what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, BJ, at the end of the day, it is not – if, if you tell a meme that I'm giving a guy the biggest the, – the, the highest – the biggest contract ever for a first baseman in baseball history. Okay, but Ben, hold or on. At that's least in the National mis- League. Hold on. In the National League. That's misleading because the newest contract, the way contracts work, is always the biggest con- uh, contract once you meet a threshold of relevancy whoa, because the whoa, money whoa, always whoa, moves whoa, whoa, forward. But, 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 but think about this. Everybody's not going to meet that threshold. Like, let, 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 let's just call it what it is. You're only going to talk about Goldschmidt and Freddie Free because they're in the same caliber, even if Freddie Free is a little bit better. Freddie Free, I think, was born in 89. Goldschmidt was born in 87. You got, you got early 30-year-olds getting 100, 130, 135 mil. Now, the, the, the Yankees, I guess they pay fines. They don't care. They ain't working with the same, you know, uh, you know they, they, they just throw money out. Can they give them the money? Yes. But at the end of the day, nothing says we appreciate you more, man, than trying to come to – that's what that's what negotiations are. If I got to get what I want, I don't need negotiations for that. Like, the Braves are doing what they're supposed to do. You know why? Because guess who else? You got a lot of other young guys watching what they're doing Freddie Free. And they're not di- – listen, let me say this. To B.J. Bennett, they are disrespecting him. They are not. Just because he ain't get the, just because I didn't get what I want doesn't mean they didn't look out for me. He's not taking a, he's not taking a discount. He's not being disrespected. They say, Freddie Free, do we willing to give you $135 million? Now, listen, Mrs. Freeman, the Freeman family, the Freeman fan club, think you deserve $200. Well, tell them I appreciate you and I'm going to miss you because they, they cannot do that. And I kept saying this, if you're going to love the way the Braves do it, the way Alex Anthopoulos has done it since he's been with the Braves, it's not going to change because of Freddie Free. He gave Ronald Acuna Jr. $100 million when he didn't have to. Gave Isaiah Albers a contract when he didn't have to. So they're going against the grain. They're trying to, they're trying to give, give it to him, BJ, but at the end of the day, a $200 million, a $200 million contract to a baseball, to a, to a position that doesn't get that doesn't like you know uh bj you were talking about how as far as like getting worse at your, at your position it's the one that does it at the at the least at the least rate they're still showing freddie freeman love it's just the fact that you don't think the power of social media you don't think the power of narratives you don't think the power of what everybody was saying i remember way back before um before uh bryce harper got his deal somebody said hey man what are they trying to give you 300 million he said that's disrespectful and i'm like what what, what are we doing wait 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 a minute this is all I'm saying, Ben. This is all I'm saying. And, you know, in baseball sometimes, Kevin, I think the 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 time when it happens is you have a 0-2 count as a starting pitcher and you kind of throw a, a pitch, right, that's nowhere near the strike zone and you hear the announcers call it a waste pitch. Like, that one wasn't even close enough to even theoretically get a swing, so it's a waste pitch. That's kind of how I feel about this contract is I understand everything you guys are saying about the money and the age. I get all that. But based on the pre contractual back and forth articles we read we've been reading articles for months that have said it's going to take 160 170 180 well if everybody knows that to no, me 135 no, feels no, like no, a waste no pitch. no 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 bj that's what that's what that's what people that have nothing to do no. with the braves are saying that's listen that, that that's people that have nothing to do with it what what i'm saying is odell beckham jr people thought he would get claimed off of waivers right because of the player he was every team goes hey man i don't want to have to pay him that 7.25 mil so they let him clear waivers, and he still went to the team he wanted. That's negotiations. Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman is great at being a baseball player. You know what the front office is good at being? 
looking out for the for the for the for the long term future of this Braves organization. You well, want you want Freddie Free to be there, but two hundred million? I just I never saw them giving him that. Yeah, again, we'll see what happens. But again, I think you get caught up sometimes in lifer contracts. I mean, Chipper did kind of right by the Braves during uh, during his time uh, as well. But I think you look at certain ones. Remember when Albert Pujols was going to be a Cardinals lifer and he signed a ten year deal, and it was like forty million dollars a year. What 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 happened there? About halfway through, they said, "Man, this guy's getting kind of old, and we still owe okay, him but, that okay, much here." And is, he ended up getting traded. Suggested they had to get rid of him. Contract. Who has suggested a ten-year contract? I'm just saying. I, I think that if I'm Freddie Freeman, I know what the end game for him is. He wants this to be the contract to get him to where he's ready to quit. Right? Hey, give me the contract. Get me to 38, 39, and if I still want to play a one-year deal for whatever. To get me there, and I played him on forty. I think this—he knows this is it. This is the contract. Give me six, seven years. I'm 38, 39 years old. I may want to be done at that point. Uh, when it comes to uh, to baseball, the Braves may want to be done with me, depending on how you play at that age. But I think that's what he's looking for. Five years doesn't quite get him there. Six years might. I think there again. I would think at the end of the day, I'll be interested to see how this comes out. When they say not close. I think there may be more of a sticking point on the years than the two hundred million. I think if you can give him thirty million a year, I think you got to throw those numbers out there because obviously you're winning the battle of public perception. Yeah, yeah. Ben knows this. Those numbers didn't just get thrown yeah. out there on accident. Yeah. Like those were put out there on purpose for everybody to digest. And so if he comes in for less but gets his six years, it's a win for the Braves, right? Hey, you wanted two hundred million, you gave him one hundred eighty, but he gets his six year. It's a win for the Braves on paper. It's a win for Freddie Freeman because he got the security to finish his career the way he wanted. I, I didn't agree with Ben. He may stay with the Braves. I don't think it's going to be for $200 million, though. we got to step aside. we got more to come. Three and out. We had a great discussion off air about what we were just – I want to continue it going here. We are talking about the Braves. BJ, you've used a phrase. I know we got a couple minutes here, but use the phrase disrespectful. I, 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 and again, maybe we're thinking of it in different terms, but I'll go with Ben. Ben, you've obviously been offered a contract, and you see how guys around there offer. I mean, is five years, 135, reportedly Freddie wants six and 200, is that, quote, disrespectful? And have you considered it to be disrespectful when teams offer a, a contract, at least initially, that might be far off from what you're expecting? If I've never gone through the negotiating uh, the table, I would say yes, it's disrespectful, but because I have, I would say no. Because the thing about it is, BJ, is you have to have a starting point. Like, think about this. If Freddie Freeman say I want 170 and they give it 170, what do you think the guys behind him, they're doing it for more than just him. Look, man, we got guys coming behind him that might end up being better than him. We got to show them that we do what's best for the franchise first and hopefully we can take care of one of the faces of the franchise because Freddie Free, in all actuality, we hold all the cards because we already won. We'll see what happens, but I just think they had to have a starting point. We'll get to that more later. We certainly have more time. The longer this drags out to get into that, hit us up with your thoughts on uh, Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. What do you think about that initial offer? Are you concerned that uh, Freddie might be going to say the Yankees after turning down a five-year, $135 million offer? We'll come back. Matt Smith joins us final hour. Three and out. Good to have you along on this Monday. So much to get to here on the show. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're also streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And joining us here coming off a just a wild weekend again in the SEC. Good friend of the show, Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, covers the SEC. Matt, welcome. How are you? 
Hey guys, uh, doing pretty well. Still kind of recovering from spending four hours of my life watching the Lions Steelers game yesterday, but uh, about 24 hours removed, so I think I'm all better by this point. Yeah, Matt is a Steelers fan going, how in the world uh, did that happen? But let's look at the SEC, Matt. Georgia, a lot of people said, oh, Tennessee runs fast pace, going to give them all kind of problems. Tennessee scores early, goes up 10 7, and then uh, Georgia kind of says, okay, we got this figured out 41 17. Another dominating performance, undefeated uh, in the SEC. Uh, again, you start to look around and how good is this Georgia team versus how how do they stack up? How do you, how do you view this East right now where Kentucky has really fallen off? South Carolina might end up being bowl eligible. Tennessee, I think, just has five wins uh, right now. How good is this Georgia team versus you know kind of where the rest of the East is right now? Well, I think that's why we were kind of all looking forward to this past Saturday with Georgia, not because we thought they had a serious chance to get pushed well into the second half, but because it was a unique test in this offense, given they've played that point, a slate of just some really bad offenses, even starting with Clemson, who's still a mess on that side of the ball, and then through all, yeah, through all the teams realistic, Kevin, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, um, Missouri without Connor Basilak, not good. That's some pretty bad offenses. So this was a good test, and for maybe the first time all season, I got a score prediction exactly right. So I wasn't totally surprised. I thought Tennessee would land a couple punches. They did. Um, but that short to intermediate passing game, that needed to somehow be sustained for the duration for Tennessee to compete. That did not happen. Uh, you had Barry and Kendrick interception. They turned in that to a nice touchdown drive to go up, I guess, 17-10 at that point, and, and the floodgates kind of opened after that. So I think for the most part, Tennessee passed the test. I don't know if we necessarily got a recipe for a more talented version of that Tennessee offense, maybe from Alabama or Ohio State down the road, uh, to try to take some stuff from and maybe use should they get into a situation against this defense. But overall, uh, super impressed. I know they had some uh, some flu issues this week, so they were struggling a bit with depth. But overall, I, I would consider that first test uh, definitely passed for this Georgia defense. Matt, Auburn-Mississippi State has a history of having some weird games, but Auburn was up 28-3 to midway through the second quarter. From that point, Mississippi State scored 40 straight points, uh, ended up winning. How does that happen? It's been crazy watching this Mike Leach offense this season because at first it kind of looked like they were just going to be a repeat of last year. Uh, just a lot of dink and dunk, six-yard passes, and it looks like most of the league had figured out that you can't just try what LSU did with the man-to-man. You just need to you know, play zone, tackle the catch, and eventually they'll make a mistake on a 14-15 play drive. That offense has evolved. Will Rogers, despite not being a Heisman contender and having two other quarterbacks in this league who we think are Heisman contenders, uh, he might be the all-SEC quarterback by the time the season ends. So that was crazy. I mean, I was so impressed with how Bo Nix came out. You know, I've been calling him bounce-back Bo for the way he's played, kind of coming back from losses this year, and he did that for – you know, a quarter and a half of that game, and then just to see it completely unravel. I mean, I guess you get that in college football sometimes because it's such an insane and wacky sport. Uh, but credit to Zach Arnett's defense for figuring some, some stuff out and for six straight scores against what was a pretty good Auburn defense, at least. Uh, absolutely crazy, but so impre- so impressed with Will Rogers. Uh, certainly takes a, a lot of luster off the Iron Bowl, but it adds some fuel to the fire for Thanksgiving night in the Egg Bowl um, with probably a sugar or peach bowl trip on the line for Ole Miss, having to go to Starkville. And what will be a seven and four Mississippi State team with a chance to, to stamp a really good season at eight and four with a winning record in SEC play, uh, that was awesome for them. So you know, happy for them. But uh, yeah, I know twenty eight to three. That doesn't really resonate much in the state of Georgia. But uh, blow a big league like that, I believe the biggest in Auburn history. Uh, just crazy. But that's why we love the sport. Never turn away. And uh, super exciting game.
Matt, uh, you know, Florida uh, Florida basketball played Sanford basketball Saturday in the sw- Oh, I'm sorry, that was the football that was the football teams uh playing. What what what's going on right now uh with my Florida Gators and is Dan Mullen trying to sabotage his own job at this point? I, I don't know. Maybe uh maybe Christian Robinson is trying to help out Georgia with the way he was uh his alma mater with the way he was trying to call that defense in his first game in the interim role. So I, I don't know what was going on. So yeah, I, Stanford has a, a decent offense by FCS standards, but 52 points, which I believe was the most ever scored by an FCS team against the Power Five opponent. I don't know. So um, obviously, as we as we kind of thought coming out of that South Carolina loss, the next few weeks aren't really about wins and losses for whether or not this can go on with Mullen. It's just more about does he want to make the commitment to the program. Certainly certain things need to happen on the coaching staff with recruiting, uh, maybe with investment at a higher level within the program compared to what we're seeing from Georgia and Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M, uh, where it kind of came so naturally at times for Florida going back to the Spurrier years where you know, he was, certainly wasn't a, a diehard on, on the recruiting trail and relentless and stuff like that, and they still won championships. And maybe that mindset does need to change that, all right, that's just not going to win right now. In Gainesville. So with that commitment, I think Mullen can survive and make it to 2022. I think it's more about that and some conversations need to be had at the higher level uh, with him, with Scott Strickland and such, uh, more so than how they play these next couple weeks into what are seemingly toss-up games, I would say, at Missouri and Florida State. But yeah, anytime you set a record like that, that's that's pretty embarrassing, despite winning the game by 18 points and all the records Emory Jones broke himself. Um, that's a sign that this program is close to broken right now. So whether there is a reset button with Dan Mullen still around, I'm not sure. That's obviously the major question over the, over the coming weeks, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be decided based on how they look in Columbia and then back in Gainesville against the Seminoles. Yeah, it's uh, baffling. And again, you mentioned the reset button. We know that's getting pressed in, uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, I know Arkansas, Sam Pittman's done a heck of a job, but 13-13 to going to overtime – at home in Death Valley, and you end up losing in overtime. I mean, where's that LSU program for whoever ends up taking that thing over? Yeah, I mean, I thought they, they played okay. They don't know what they're doing at quarterback right now. I think they spent most of their emotional capital, at least, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, they were all in on that game. Darn near pulled it off, and, and I expected a, a somewhat flat effort from them. Didn't really know how the crowd would be in Tiger Stadium, but... They hung in there, but yeah, losing to Arkansas at home two years after, I guess they were, what, 42-point 40, favorites the last time Arkansas came to Baton Rouge. Uh, just an incredible uh, two ships passing in the night type event there with this Arkansas program heading for uh, maybe as many as nine wins, and LSU uh, with five and seven probably looking like the likely scenario in their first losing season since 99, I believe. Uh, pretty crazy. So yeah, not, not a very aesthetically pleasing game, I would say, but you know, I thought Arkansas would win because of their experience in a close game the week before pulling that out against Mississippi State and again that emotional capital and credit to them for what they did in Tuscaloosa that was very impressive but I just didn't think they were going to be able to repeat that kind of a similar situation what we saw a few weeks back when they went all in uh, against Florida with thinking they were trying to save Orgeron's job that day he gets fired the next day they turn around and go to Ole Miss and get popped they had nothing left so I thought that was a similar situation obviously they kept this game more competitive uh, but that resolve from Arkansas again to just find a way to win a game that for, you know, they probably deserve to lose. I don't know if anyone necessarily deserved to win that game, maybe kind of like the Lions-Steelers game. Uh, but no ties in college football, and Arkansas got it done, made a, made a big play on defense in overtime, which uh, they're very prone to do in, in clutch moments over the last two years. So, uh, yeah, props to Arkansas. And, and again, I, LSU probably emotionally just had nothing left after what they put out there against Alabama the week before. 
Matt, staying with LSU, we've seen all kind of rumors about the uh, vacancy, whether it's been Jimbo Fisher having to come out and say, I'm not going uh, to Lincoln Riley, a lot of talk on social media there. I mean, do you think there's tangibility to any of that, or is this still wide open, and uh, will it be for a while? I, I don't buy Jimbo. I, I'd be very shocked if that if that comes to fruition. Uh, Lincoln Riley, I could see that. I don't think he's necessarily unhappy at Oklahoma. Maybe there's more of a commitment at LSU, but, I mean, they're pretty darn committed at Oklahoma. They're at most probably two years away from joining the SEC, so kind of just going through what would make sense. I, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but I think there's more legs to that one just based on kind of what I'm hearing and stuff than there is with Jimbo Fisher. It doesn't mean Scott Woodward won't go all in for Jimbo. I'm sure he will, and he'll keep trying. Uh, but that would surprise me, I think, with, with the contract status, with the way he's won the last couple years, certainly very committed uh, at Texas A&M. I, I don't expect Jimbo to want to start over again, even as much as re- respect as he has for that LSU job. So, yeah, I'd still probably lean with Mel Tucker at this point, but I think Riley is a legitimate possibility. That will be one to watch, depending on how Oklahoma finishes their season here, and maybe they could even sneak into the playoff and, and for all intents and purposes and that speculation. But, yeah, I could see that. I'd still go with Mel Tucker. I think he just makes a ton of sense with his SEC ties, uh, with the way he, he's quickly flipped Michigan State around. Um, so that's kind of where I see this going. But, yeah, Jimbo, I think he's, I think he's there in College Station for, for a while at least. And, man, even, even sticking with that, when you think about a guy like Mel Tucker, obviously LSU could pay him whatever whatever they want to pay him to get him, you know, to get him out of Michigan State. You talk about Jimbo, for which you can't trust nothing Jimbo says with how everything ended up in Florida State. Lincoln Riley with the expectations of Oklahoma and Dan Mullen in Florida. With, with, as far, excluding Mel Tucker, what do you think would get a coach to come to another school quicker? Is it just dealing with the fan base, expectation fatigue, or just really just wanting to try to start off new somewhere different? Yeah, I think every coach is different to some extent. How much do they value chasing a championship? Um, you know, I think that's important to, to many guys. Maybe for someone that's it's more financial. You know, Mark Stoops probably is never leaving Kentucky. He's well compensated. He has very little pressure. Um, you know, he's never going to get to Atlanta certainly with, with what's going on in Athens right now. So that's out the door. If he wants to, if he wants to get antsy and maybe compete for at least a conference title, you know, would he make sense to go to Iowa at some point where where he played and and with Kirk Ferentz probably on his last legs there, it's just different for some guys. I think the Big Ten and the SEC, money probably isn't going to be too much of a factor. I mean, LSU's probably ridiculous um, with what they would offer, but Michigan State certainly has got a ton of money from that Big Ten TV contract, so I don't think that would be the reason. It would be more just kind of seeing what he thinks he can do at East Lansing, given he's got a Goliath in his decision or in his division at Ohio State there, and he thinks there's a better opportunity to win the championship at LSU. It's varies from person to person, um, but I think everyone knows that there's enough commitment at LSU to make that happen. Certainly the, the talent access is as good as anywhere in the country. And if that's what motivates a guy, you know, go for it. If you don't want to deal with some of that stuff that comes with a job like that, maybe Michigan State's a bit more hand off, hands-off from the, the non-football, the glad-handing, the booster involvement, stuff like that. Maybe he embraces that, loves that. Um, started, what, 8-0, 9-0 this year. So maybe he believes he can get to the pinnacle at a place like Michigan State, as tough as that is. So it depends from person to person. But I think that's on the table, and and that's why I would still make him the top candidate at this point. But certainly uh, a lot of balls being juggled right now, I would say, by Scott Woodward. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Matt, I want to ask you a question, and we're going to talk about it here just a little bit uh, on on our show here on 3 and Out. But we talk about it as kind of a running joke on the show that – 
the ACC, ACC's itself, where it's, you know, hey, whatever is bad for the league probably will happen. If something has, if a team has some momentum to be good, they're probably due for a loss. And it seems like we're starting to see that around college football, uh, where you just see the unexpected Texas at home losing to a one-win Kansas team. Purdue kind of coming out of nowhere, beating Michigan State. Oklahoma and Nebraska a few weeks ago, or excuse me, uh, Ohio State and Nebraska, very close ball game, where in years past we've seen the top teams kind of dominate. In your opinion, are we seeing the utmost of parity in college football? There's only one Power Five undefeated, and that's Georgia, or are we seeing a lot of average college football there uh, in the middle of college football? I would say maybe there's a bigger gap than we, I don't know, we probably do think it's a pretty big gap, but there's a significant gap between the truly best of the best. And at this point, I think you may have to limit that to only Alabama and Ohio State. Um, and even Ohio State, at least under Urban Meyer, would lose a stupid game from time, time, or time to time. But uh, at least under Ryan Day, they have not done that. They've lost, I guess, just the one regular season game uh, earlier this year to Oregon. And kind of same for Alabama throughout this run. You know, they've lost a couple games to Auburn, of course, and a, a wild game at Ole Miss. But they, they don't, haven't succumbed to those stupid losses like we've seen from other teams, whether it be Clemson losing to a Syracuse team that never should have lost to. Uh, Oklahoma certainly had a number over the years with Kansas State. And those are the teams we think that are up at the top of the sport. Uh, but maybe there is more of a gap just program-wise and how things are run there between, say, Alabama and Ohio State. Um, and maybe Georgia's getting there as well as they continue to get further removed from that South Carolina debacle of a couple years ago, but maybe there is a bigger gap between those and kind of the next tier where they're, they're just not going to make it through a 12-game gauntlet without a bad day where they get picked off by a, an average, slightly above-average team. And meanwhile, you just don't see that from, from teams like Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, they take care of business. They run the table, and that's why they're usually the last two or three teams standing. So maybe that's the answer for the ACC. You know, with Clemson struggling now, I don't think they have one of those teams at the moment. We'll see if Dabo can get it fixed in the next year or two. Uh, but maybe that's the answer. I'm sure there's a lot more layers to that question we can get get into in a minute or two here, but that's kind of my initial thinking of what you're talking about, Kevin. But, yeah, good discussion. SouthernPigskin.com, our guest here on uh, 3 and Out. And, Matt, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again uh, next week as we get ready for uh, rivalry week in, in college football. We come down the stretch. We appreciate it. It is crunch time. Yep, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, and we will talk about that parity aspect when we return. Are we seeing it in college football? We ask it. We say we want it. Are we seeing it, or are we just seeing a huge separation between the really good and everybody else? We'll get to that next here, 3 and Out, the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, live ESPNCoastal.com, as well as live video streaming on our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. You can leave us a comment there, and uh, we can respond to your thoughts there as well. But are we seeing, I asked Matt that, I want to ask you guys that. Are we seeing parity in college football? Are we seeing a lot more average? And I know everybody say, well, if everybody's in the middle, are we seeing more like kind of so-so play and less dominating play from a number of teams? Because you have Georgia undefeated. Alabama's got one loss, Oregon and Ohio State. Outside of that, I mean, Michigan, Penn State was kind of back and forth. And Penn State's got uh, quite a few losses more than they kind of expected. We saw... Texas go to Kansas and lose. I mean, every single week, BJ, you see things that make you scratch your head. Miami, again, hey, they finally found their quarterback. They've won three games in a row. They're playing downtrodden Florida State, and they lose. Uh, And it seems like you're seeing that all over college football where anytime there's kind of a team that we kind of deem as getting a little traction, Auburn, oh, man, setting up for a shot, up, lost. And not only lost, blew a 28-3 lead. Are we seeing parity in college football? No, we say we want it. Is this what we're seeing right now? 
I don't think we're seeing parity at the top. And I understand there's still the chance. I know you guys have said it's not going to happen, but the chance that Cincinnati could get into the playoff. But there's a really good chance, probably a better chance, that the playoff at the end of the day is some form, one through four, of Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and maybe Notre Dame. I mean, Oregon. Or Oregon, who have, you know, all of those teams have already been in the playoff. So I, I, I don't think at the top there's as much parity. And even if you want to kind of go to another level within that top level, Matt said it's Alabama and Ohio State. I think I would probably put Georgia in there right now. Obviously, that Georgia doesn't have the recent history of those programs. But I think right this second, if you wanted to say who's at the top of college football, I think it would be Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. And there would be a fairly significant drop-off after that in terms of your – ability, your what your A-plus effort would result in right now this season. After that, I do think it's fair to say, you know, average has a kind of a negative connotation to it, but I think there are some above average teams, right? You know, I, I don't know after the top tier that there's a bona fide team that you would look at and say, oh, they would be top 10 every year in college football, or they would be a contender in the SEC every year in college football. You know, you take, for example, if you want to call them a tier two team, a team like Texas A&M, Texas A&M beat Alabama. They also have three losses. And I think that's kind of the reality of college football, where for the most part you have been, you've told me this, you have the potential where any team can play any team close if it falls into place. But I don't think it's enough parity to kind of move the mountain at the top, so to speak, where we know who's going to be there. But I mean, look at college football this weekend. One win, Kansas wins at Texas. Samford, and I love Chris Hatcher. They got a great quarterback and Liam Welch, but a Samford team that has not been one of the best teams in the SOCON scores 52 at Florida. I mean, you mentioned Kevin Miami goes to Florida State, loses. South Carolina loses to Missouri. I mean, the the even the even the things we think we've kind of figured out and understand in college football, Auburn's up 28 to 3 and they lose by multiple scores. College football is wild. It's wacky, like Matt said. I think after the top, there's a whole lot of either this or that could happen, and I would understand it. At the top, I don't think there's I don't think there's parity where it matters most. I think there is. I think there is parity, BJ, for everything you just said. But think about this. You're judging Georgia off of this year. Kirby Smart first get to Georgia. You know who he lost to his first year? He lost to Tennessee. He lost to Ole Miss. He lost to Vanderbilt. He lost to Kentucky. He lost to Florida. Would they be saying this about – Georgia right now. No, if this is five years ago. What I'm saying is this has to do with who gets an opportunity to play in the college football playoff, not who is the best team. Because if we go off if we go off parity, BJ, no, Sanford has a good offense. BJ, you told me how good that quarterback is. And now that they did against Florida, now everybody will watch. See, if it's just against the other SOCON teams, they're not going to watch. You're doing it against Florida. Oh, man, this kid must be pretty good, right? I think about I think about Louisiana Monroe. Didn't they? Didn't they? Didn't they win at LSU? Didn't Georgia Southern go to Florida and win? That shows you that when I get a chance to play these quote tier one teams, we beat them. Not and like you said, BJ, is Georgia was Georgia Southern better than Florida? Maybe not, but on that day they were. And the problem is we don't get to see these teams enough. There are certain teams that get the national attention, they get the benefit of the doubt, and it's who they play. Oklahoma, right? 
Oklahoma isn't coming to the SEC because they're getting tired of the Big 12. Oklahoma wants to get the same, uh, they want to get the same, uh, you know, notoriety as well as the, the attention that the SEC does. Texas, Texas like, look, man, we're going to get more money. We ain't going to win. We can't win the Big 12. But we, well, So branding has a part of, part of it, BJ, but I think it is parody. We just got to get off our implicit biases when it comes to what we think this is and that is, right? Alabama is what Alabama is the cream is the cream of the crop when you're talking about college football. You know who benefits from playing those teams every year? Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Georgia in the SEC championship game, Florida. So I can build my team on not just where I play, but who I play. But we see these guys. That's why everybody like, man, look what happened in Florida. No. I do think it's parody. I do think it's it's a lot more parody than we give it credit for. We just we got to get off watching the same teams all the time. I lived in the Northeast. You know what they could care less about? College football as a whole. They don't care about none of it. I'm to my Alabama who? Oklahoma who? So I think for us is it's about just widening our variety on what we watch. BJ, you're an analytics guy. As soon as I said Sanford, you gave me that quarterback. Well, the reason why you gave because you knew who this player was. It gives us a chance. Look, the greatest receiver to ever touch a football went to Mississippi Valley State. Arguably, BJ, the greatest running back went to Jackson State. Um, Shannon Sharp went to Savannah State. Marcus Strahan went to Texas Southern. These are some of the greatest players ever. Was it parody when they played? Nope. I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. So I do think BJ and Kevin. The talent is all over. We got to start watching more. And if you start watching more, you'll realize, yep, the 2022 draft is going to be flooded with the SEC, 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 because the SEC has the biggest brand. They might not have the best brand of football, but they got the biggest brand. So I just think that if we watch it more, you'll see it is spread out more because the whole thing about it is when these players start picking the schools, they're picking the schools that's going to help them go pro the best. Kayvon Thibodeau is the number one, he's probably going to be the number one recruit, I mean, number one player taker. BJ, me and you were at Florida State. I've never seen this. This kid was out there with us. Noah, he like, and when the rest of the recruits came, he left. Sorry, you're not with them, right? He goes to Oregon. You don't think that has something to do with them still being in the top four because they're going to potentially have the number? That stuff matters. They're going to have a number one pick. They lost one game. They lost to Stanford. Who cares? So I'm just saying the benefit of the doubt is what I think teams have a hard enough time doing, but I do think it is parity because when Sanford scores fifth. <laughs> 50-some points against Florida. People go, oh, no, Sanford puts up points, right? They just had to do it against a team that matters for us to, to, uh, to, to give them some level of attention. But, yes, I do think it is more widespread. And if we start digging and start really looking, we realize the talent, the talent threshold for some teams, I understand it. But I guarantee you this. You take some of these bottom-tier teams, you put them in the SEC, they're going to play better because of who they're playing against, and they're going to beat some of these teams. But as long as it's SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12, those, 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 uh, those G5 conferences and those D- Division II conferences, they'll never, ever get the recognition I think they, they, they deserve a week in and week out. Look, I, I, again, we say we want parity, and we're seeing inconsistent play across college football outside of, as you said, a couple of teams there uh, at the top, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, as you said, uh, that Matt Smith kind of threw in that discussion, BJ. Uh, 
it's just it's, it's kind of interesting that we've seen so many. I, what was it? A couple of weeks ago, I heard we, it was like five weeks in a row a team in the top ten, yep. at, at least one team in the top ten has lost a game. I mean, that usually this late in the season, that doesn't happen very often unless you're playing somebody else in the top ten. I mean, that's not necessarily the case. Um, Oklahoma lost to Baylor, not in the top ten. They were top 15, but Purdue beat Michigan State, who was not even in the top 25, uh, was Purdue. So I think we're seeing it more and more later in the season when usually, BJ, you go by that adage, if we're getting better week to week, that kind of stuff was like, Week one through four kind of stuff. When you saw teams get upset, the really good teams at the end of the year usually had it together uh, by this time of the season. You weren't seeing I – mean, you may see them lose, but it wasn't going to be to a team like a Purdue with two weeks left or three weeks left in the season. Yeah, and look, I absolutely agree that there's talent everywhere, you know, and and, and it's great to see. And, you know, Ben, I was telling you last week, hey, keep an eye on Liam Welch at Sanford. You know, he's one of the most productive quarterbacks in the country at, at any level. And I think there are players like that everywhere. As you talked about, guys who are going to get drafted, guys who are going to play for seven, eight, nine, ten years in the NFL that are everywhere, programs all over the country. I just I, – I don't know what it's going to take to – and I'm not saying we have to have this, but – to have kind of a new influx of contenders for the college football playoff. Because for all that you're talking about, Kevin, there to go back to my original point, there's a strong likelihood the college football playoff is going to be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon or Notre Dame. And all of those teams have already made it. Most of those teams a couple of times or multiple times have made it. Now, after that, yes, it's wild. And I don't know what you attribute. Maybe unpredictability is a better word than parity kind of what you attribute that to. I mean, I think the transfer portal, I think the fact that more true freshmen are playing in college football now, and maybe that leads to a little more uh, volatility, great plays, maybe some mistakes. Um, you know, I, I do think across college football, you've seen coaching changes made at a more rapid rate, and maybe that turnover leads to more instability or more unpredictability across the board. But kind of to your point, Ben, I mean, we do picks every week on ESPN Coast. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm awful. And it's like outside outside of Alabama, and for the most part, outside of Clemson and Georgia and the names you know, no, no result surprises you. It's like, how do you have any idea? It's like Virginia Tech plays Virginia. How do you know? Pitt plays Boston College. How do you know? Arkansas plays LSU. I, I mean, it, 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 it's impossible to know kind of where the advantages lie or if there's enough, I guess, tiered strength to have a clear favorite, and and I, I think you guys are right. I think I I don't know that there is that right now. We we got we got to stop we got to stop looking at things from a standpoint. We always Kevin, don't we always talk about it's supposed to be about this year, right? That's not what we do, and we got to stop using certain words, right? When a, when a team gets beat that we don't think, I mean, that was an upset. No, it wasn't. Because I'm telling you, college football is closer than people give it credit for. We just don't be. It's just because I haven't seen one team and I'm used to another team. And the team I'm not used to beats that familiar team. It's not an upset. I'm just saying we got to start looking at it for more of what college football is. Again, we've got well, – we'll see how it plays out the last couple of weeks if something else crazy happens uh, coming down the stretch. We've got more to come here on 3-9. If you missed it from hour number one, Kevin Whitley joined us. Big win uh, for Georgia Southern. Uh, finally put one together, snapped a uh, four-game uh, losing streak. Now they've got nationally ranked BYU, the highest-ranked opponent ever to come to Paulson Stadium this weekend. We had a chance to sit down with him. You'll hear that next here on 3 and Out. This Monday, again, thanks to Matt Smith, Kevin Whitley, D. Orlando Ledbetter, and Brooks Austin for joining us here on the show. If you missed any of that – 
You can go to ESPNCoastal.com, our YouTube page, get a podcast version of the show, our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal. We got the show up there each and every day. And uh, again, we got some Monday night football tonight. And I know after the, the Falcons' tough performance yesterday, you may want to see some something a little uh, different <laughs> when it comes to Monday night football. You got Odell's debut for the Rams tonight, though, on Monday night football. First game, Ben, how much of Stafford to Beckham do we see tonight? I hope we see a lot. Sean McVay, BJ, and Kevin was always taught about his, you know, uh, incredible play calling. If you and Robert Woods, obviously their number two, um, is out for the season. Cooper Cup, OBJ, uh, Sony Michelle. I mean, it should be a lot of OBJ tonight. If you can't find a way to get OBJ the ball, you don't deserve to coach or play call in the National Football League. Hey, man, you got the Rams. You got you got the 49ers. It should be it should be a good game. BJ, D-D-E-B-O, whoa, versus Jalen versus Ramsey. It should be a good matchup tonight. <laughs> all we need is a cam uh, from, from Ben. We'll have it all time. We have a cam acre. Hey, man, cam scored scam- – Cam scored twice, right? Twice I, on I, He's back, as we said. Um, listen, I was in the game for two games, two touchdowns. I mean, that's what he does. Cam, Cam with a C. We got Cam with a K. The Cam with a C for, uh, <laughs> for the Rams. He's out for the season. We will see it tomorrow, of course, uh, all the speculation about the college football playoff poll week three after, again, Oklahoma uh, losing. That may not affect things too much as they were kind of behind uh, everybody anyway, but uh, how does that change things in the uh, the ranking dynamic? We'll get to that uh, ahead of tomorrow night's poll release and more. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Again, if you missed any portion of the show, Apple Podcasts, ESPN Coast, or our YouTube page, and you get everything you missed right there. We'll see you tomorrow, three and out.